standing, grab your Bibles, and let's go to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. While you're turning there, I'm, my name is Brandon Reddick, and I am the lead pastor here at the Bridge Church, where we exist to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. Let me say while you continue to turn there, let me apologize for the warmth of the space on this morning. Uh, we have no idea why it's happening, uh, but we apologize and we will get on top of that and work on that um, to make sure it's more comfortable uh, for the rest of the summer. Ephesians chapter number four, beginning with verse number 17. This morning is Family Sunday, so our elementary age students, our bridge kids, will stay in with us on this Sunday. Our nursery is still open, however. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse number 17. If you don't have it, you can follow along on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse number 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather, let him huh, labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seats. A few years ago, used to spend some time with, uh, when I was spending time with, <laughs> let me change that. A few, few years ago, I used to watch a show on television um, as I, Connie and I would spend time together. The name of that show was What Not to Wear. <laughs> Y'all watch it too, I see. So essentially what would happen on this show is a spouse or a friend or a parent would write in or call in uh, to this show because they had someone in their lives who dressed mm, poorly. And so they would send videos in of this person of how they would dress on a regular basis for work, for parties, for formal events. And for lack of a better term, let's just say it was downright hideous. And so the premise of this show was teaching these people what not to wear by, by re, re just transforming their wardrobe and, and making them over again so that they could look the part Look good, feel good. I enjoyed watching the show. I thought it was hilarious to see the way some people dress. <laughs> but the transformation was the best part. To see how someone could just completely look completely like a different person. So they learned what not to wear by learning what to wear. Paul here today in our text invites us all into his episode of what not to wear. Paul here in today's text tells us we've got to put off some old wardrobe and put on some new wardrobe. Today's text is about what not to wear and what we should wear as followers of Jesus Christ. We've been in this study of Ephesians. We've gone now through the first three chapters, and we're going to finish the fourth chapter today. The first three chapters of, are about who God is and what God has done for us. The Father has, has chosen us. The Son has redeemed us. The Spirit has sealed us, has put his mark on us to, to, to confirm that we are God's possession. And this is just a down payment of our future inheritance. By the power of God, by the love of God, we who were dead are now alive in Christ Jesus. This, this is all chapters 1 through 3. Three. These are the truths that Paul has laid out. Now, in verses four, in chapters four through six, he's going to tell us how we ought to live based on these truths. Because we now have a new identity, 
We now should walk differently, live differently. That's why chapter 4, verse 1, he gives us the main idea of the rest of the book. Chapter 4, verse 1, he commands us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That's what chapters 4 through 6 are about, how we live out being called into the family of God. So let's look at this together. In verses 17 through 24, first of all, Paul tells us that we have to take off the old and put on the new. Take off the old and put on the new. He first starts off here in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse number 17. He, he shares with us the old wardrobe. Look at verse number 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This word testify in verse number 17, it probably should be translated better, insist. Paul says, I insist in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Paul, Paul is being demanding here. What, what he has to say is a matter of great significance. But he is demanding, not for his own benefit or based on his own authority. Look, notice, he says, I insist or I testify in the Lord. He's making this demand based on the authority of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, this is not for me. This is from Christ. And what Paul insists they do is no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, he's insisting that they no longer live like the surrounding culture. No, no, they are no longer to live according to their old way of life. They have been changed. And by the way, that word Gentiles, it doesn't necessarily refer all the time in Scripture to refer to a, a certain people group. Some, that word Gentiles is actually, can actually be translated nations. So don't, 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 don't live like the world. Live differently. Friends, this mandate is vitally important for us to hear today. When so many Christians are leading double lives, partly for Christ, but mostly following the ways of the secular society around us. Unfortunately, too many Christians are discipled not just by Christ, but by Facebook and Instagram in Snapchat, in YouTube, in BET, in the country channel, in Fox News, in CNN, in MSNBC, in BBC. And, and, and we are too discipled by the world 
and not by the word of God. We live double lives. And, and Paul says that ought not be the case. There is absolutely no place for worldliness in the Christian life. We've been called out of the world and united with the body of Christ. So now Paul goes on to paint a hopeless and dark picture of how the Gentiles walk. He, he, he now is going to give us the actual wardrobe of the old self. Look at verse 17. He says they walk in the futility of their minds. The, their, first pe their first article of clothing is emptiness. Notice that Paul here, in these first couple of verses, he highlights the mind. He talks about their minds, their understanding, their ignorance. The problem is how they think. They have a corrupted world of view. He says they walk in the futility of their minds. Their, that word futility in verse 17, it means vain or empty. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that, that that's, it's the same word that's used in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you remember when we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, the word that kept coming up over and over and time and time again is vanity. All is vanity. Paul's point here for us in Ephesians, by using this word futility, is he's saying that they have a vain worldview or perspective. The lesson for us, church, is that life is vain, futile, and without purpose unless it is ordered around God and his purposes. You may be here today feeling unfulfilled and unsatisfied with your life. Maybe it's because it's not ordered around God and his purposes. Maybe the problem is that your life is, is, is ordered around your own happiness, your own fulfillment, your own satisfaction, but you were not created for your benefit, for your sake. You were created for his glory. And you will be living with a futile mind in a futile state as long as you live for you rather than God. So they have on a garment of emptiness. But not only do they have on the garment of emptiness, but they also have on a garment of darkness. Look at verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. This darkened understanding is their rejection of the truth about God. We must remember that God has revealed himself, his existence through creation. We call that natural revelation. We just look at nature and we can see that God exists. Last week I told you we were in Chicago. Just had a time to spend looking out at Lake Michigan. 
It was much cooler than it is in here right now. Oh, how I miss thee. This past week, I was in, where was I? Eagle Rock, Missouri. That's where I was. Better known as the Woods. I was invited to speak at a camp, a, <laughs> a middle school camp. And I met some new friends. But I was there, and you saw all these hills and mountains and trees. And when I wasn't fighting the bugs and the ticks and the mosquitoes, all I could do is just bask in God's creation. And, the, and Russ, the only thing that I could think about was how great thou art. The heavens declare his glory. The firmament shows his handiwork. Creation reveals that there is a God. Thus all men are without excuse to knowing and responding to God's revelation. And so Paul says they have a darkened understanding. They have rejected the revelation of God, thus rejecting God. Not only do they have on the garment of emptiness and darkness, but Paul says they have on the garment of deadness as well. Deadness. He says they have been alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance. Friends, just so you know, this ignorance that Paul is referring to is a willful ignorance. They have ignored God's revelation about himself. Therefore, they are culpable for their ignorance. Paul says this ignorance exists because they have hard hearts. Therein lies the root of the problem. It's a heart issue. Therefore, they are dead, alienated from the life of God. The next article of clothing and what not to wear is callousness. Look at verse 19. He says, they have become callous. To be callous means that they have become so accustomed to their ignorance and their way of sinful living that they are no longer bothered by the consequences of what they are doing. They have become insensitive to God. They've been desensitized to their sin. They, they no longer feel shame and pain because of their sin. They are callous. Finally, Paul says, last piece of their wardrobe is recklessness. Look at verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They have cast off all restraint. Nothing is off limits. They no longer care what God thinks or anyone else thinks about what they do. And Paul says they are now greedy. In other words, they, they are insatiable. 
They have an insatiable desire for sin. They are never satisfied. This is the old wardrobe, and he says, you who are now united with Christ, take it off. Don't wear this. This is not who you are. Verse 20, he moves from the old wardrobe to the new wardrobe. He says, but this is not the way you learned Christ. He reminds them, you've you've got to put on Christ now. You you went to the school of Christ. You've been educated by Christ. In other words, you are a disciple of Christ. Dare I say, a fully devoted follower of Christ. You didn't learn him this way. The way of the world is completely antithetical to the way of Christ. He tells them you learned a completely different way of living. What did they learn? Look at verse 22. He says, you learned that you ought to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says, now that you have a new identity. You got to change your clothes. You got to change your wardrobe. You got to, in other words, you have to look differently. You've got to look the part of what you have learned. You've been schooled in the school of Christ. As I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this imagery of education and everything, I couldn't help but think about the school that I was educated at for a seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary. I'll give y'all a rest on Texas A&M today. Maybe that's next week's sermon. I believe Dallas Seminary is one of the top seminaries in our country. We have many good seminaries here in America, but I believe Dallas to be one of the best. I'm so grateful for my education at Dallas Seminary. Dallas Seminary has graduated men like Tony Evans, Chuck Swindoll. The list goes on and on and on. Brandon Reddick. I do have a degree from there. I just, I'm just letting you know. What I love about Dallas is their commitment to Scripture. We study all 66 books of the Bible while we are there. I spent four semesters, six semesters learning Greek, four semesters learning Hebrew. It's so great, but they teach you so much about loving the truth and loving others. Top-notch theological training from some of the best scholars in our country. They taught us how to preach the word, at least they tried to teach us how to preach the word, how the, the text has to drive the sermon. The point of the text has to be the point of the sermon. 
That's what they taught me at Dallas Center. I love my education. And, and, and as much as we have such great men of God who, uh, and women of God who have, um, uh, oh, Priscilla, Priscilla Shire, some of you women know her. She graduated from there too. There are a handful, though, of people that we don't like to claim. Let me see if I can make somebody mad this morning. <laughs> you showed up. You know, there are people, and I'll try to uh, not name him, but there are people like um, certain individuals who may or may not be named Andy Stanley, where uh, he went to Dallas Seminary, where you hear him and you just want to go. Why? Let me tell you why. I'm glad you asked. Because he believes that this, the Christians of today ought to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. Google it. It's on there. I didn't make it up. After my sermon, by the way, you can Google it. As if the Old Testament has no bearing on Christians today. He must have forgot that whole part of Scripture where we are taught to, taught to preach the whole counsel of God. And sometimes the things he says, this is not the first time he said something outrageous like this. And sometimes you just want to just, I'm, I'm like, dude, you went to Dallas Seminary. What, what are you thinking? Your daddy is Andy Stanley. He is. He's his daddy's son. What, what are you doing, dude? You were educated at Dallas Theological Seminary, where we learned all 66 books of Scripture, and now you're going to say you're one of the most influential pastors in America. You've got one of the largest churches in America there in Atlanta, and you're going to tell people that it's time for us to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament? You went to Dallas Seminary. Why would you say that? Similar to what Paul is saying, you've matriculated through the school of Christ. We think differently. We believe differently. We behave differently. Paul's point is that our education ought to lead to transformation. You didn't like that, but let me try this. Our learning ought to transform our living. That's Paul's point here. You went to the school of Christ, so you ought to look different, think differently. You ought not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he says you've been taught to put on the old self. I mean, put off the old self and put on the new self. Verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. The new self is created after the likeness of God. It is not the old self reformed. It is a completely new creation. It's nothing like the old self. And he says this new self ought to be marked by righteousness and holiness. 
So now, Paul moves on, secondly, to give us the five garments of the new self. He's given us the five garments of the old self. Now he's going to give us the five garments of the new self. Let's study it together. First garment of the new self, he says that we ought to take off lies and put on truth-telling. Verse 26, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Take off lies, put on the truth. The new self is not a liar. The new self doesn't tell even little white lies. The new self doesn't misrepresent themselves to make themselves look better. The new self is a truth teller. And the reason we do this, Paul says, is because we are members of one another. We're all part members of the same body, the body of Christ. And truth is to be the mark of Christian community. Honesty with one another is essential for mutual trust. It's foundational to life in the community of believers. We must be truth tellers. He says, take off lies, put on truth telling. That's the first garment. The second garment. Take off sinful anger and keep short accounts. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul here is not denouncing all anger, just sinful anger. Friends, there is a time when it is right to be angry. What angers God ought to anger us. What angers, I will, what angers God ought to anger us. The church has become too complacent with some of the things going on in the world. We're no longer angry, we're just indifferent. And I believe indifference is one of the worst sins of the church right now. I think it's worse than hatred. We just sit by, come to church on Sunday morning, do our things while, while, while people are hurting and in pain and suffering on their way to hell. We don't get angry about anything anymore. All we want to talk about is love, love, love. But we do serve a God who is wrathful. There are some things that ought to anger us. Idolatry ought to make us angry. Injustice ought to make us angry. Oppression ought to make us hangry, angry. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if being hangry is sinful or righteous. <laughs> but what angered God 
What angers God should anger us. There is sinful anger. Insofar as believers express anger out of sinful motives such as injured pride, envy, spite, they are engaging in sinful behavior. However, holy anger and righteous or righteous indignation can be appropriate. However, if we do get angry, Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, deal with your issues quickly. Don't let it linger. Don't let it fester. Because when we do, we give space to Satan. Satan leaps at the opportunity to sow discord that leads to bitterness, resentment, and hatred. Oh, who needs to hear this more than married folk? All of us need to hear it, but let me do some free marriage counseling right now. Not that I've ever charged anybody for it, but. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't hold in anger. Now, here's, here's the thing, though. Some of us deal with anger by acting like it just didn't happen. We suppress it and we just move on, calling it forgiveness. No, 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 no. Deal with it. I'm angry because, boom. Fix it. There needs to be some repentance. And just because you're angry don't mean you're the one who have been wrong. Sometimes you can, we just learn that you can be the one who's sinning in your anger. That's free. Paul teaches us that we need to keep short accounts by dealing with the issue. The third garment. Third garment. Take off stealing and put on hard work. Let the thief who steals steal no more. Instead, work. The word for work carries with it the sense of laboring to the point of weariness and exhaustion. Paul is saying, work hard. Why? Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We work hard rather than stealing for the sake of others. For Paul, it's a given that we work to take care of ourselves and our family. Notice the emphasis. The reason we are to put on this new self is for the sake of others. It's how we represent Christ, but it's for the sake of the community. 
Oh, how I wish we could get that. Oh, how I wish I had the words that would just pierce your heart and emblazon this into, into your minds. Community. 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 I have to fight hard to get you to get this deep down in your hearts and souls because our culture teaches us it's all about us, our own individualism, our own liberty, our own freedom, our own happiness. But the Bible for the Christians, for the Christian, for the church, it's about the community. Not me, we. Oh, if we would just live for one another. Oh, if we would just love one another. That's not a good idea. It's a command uh, from Christ to love one another. By the way, when we love one another, that's how the world knows we, we are his disciples. Community. 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 Work hard so that you can share with others. Oh, how we need to hear this in a culture that says, get all you can and can all you get. Oh, work. No, no, no. Work hard so that you can share. Oh, the Christian ought to be marked by generosity. Fourth, the new wardrobe, the fourth piece of garment, take off corrupt talk, and put on edifying talk. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, oftentimes this verse is what is used to uh, teach against cuss words. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just got tickled, as you can tell. Ooh, some of the best cussing people I know are church folk. <laughs> but this word here for corrupting, it means rotten. So this is more than just cuss words. This is all form of negative talk, gossiping. Backbiting, slander. Paul says none of that should be a part of the new self, the Christian walk, the Christian lifestyle. He says, take it off. Rather put on edifying talk, talk that builds up, talk that encourages. Paul, why, why do you tell us to do this? He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit. We do all these things, specifically the, how we talk to one another, because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Corrupting talk about one another or towards one another brings sorrow to the Holy Spirit. By the way, the fact that the Holy Spirit uh, can experience emotions, 
confirms that the Holy Spirit is a person and not an it. Now, let me make something very clear about grieving the Holy Spirit. He's not saying here, he just doesn't want us to make the Holy Spirit feel bad. No, 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 no. We have to think back to passages like Isaiah chapter 63, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what it says. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. This is talking about uh, Israel. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. That sounds like my God. Verse 5, excuse me, verse 10, but they rebelled. God did all of that for them, and then they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy. God did. And God himself fought against them. Paul here He's not just saying, don't make the Holy Spirit feel bad. He's warning us. He's saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit because divine sorrow is the beginning of divine wrath. If we grieve him, he will respond. And oh, my God, I, I don't want God to be my enemy. I don't want God to fight against me. Finally, Paul says, take off fighting and put on forgiveness. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We are to be people marked by forgiveness. Every time we think about someone offending us, hurting us, we need to deal with it, but we need to be ready to forgive because we are people marked by the cross. The cross of Christ. Jesus was sent to the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. Those of us, by the way, I'm ready now. Those of us who were unworthy and unfit and undeserving of God's forgiveness, God sent his son to the cross anyhow. Y'all making me work hard today. While we were yet sinners, Christ, God demonstrated his love for us, and Christ died for us. We didn't deserve God's love. We didn't earn God's forgiveness. He, will, he did it because he loved us. And in the same way, we should be people in a hurry who are ready to forgive one another. Well, he needs to earn it back. She doesn't deserve it after what she did to me. Neither do you after what you did to God. You, 
You rebelled against him. You put your fist up to God and said, I'm going to do it my way. Every time you sin, you're saying, God, I am more important than your will. My will is more important than your will. And God still loves us. Y'all, I'm about to lose my mind up here. Because let me tell you, I know how low down I can be. Y'all don't know, but I do. I know how undeserving I am. But yet he loves me. And he stands ready to forgive me. And Paul says, just as you have been forgiven in the same manner, you ought to forgive. It's a... And so the application for somebody is in here is when you leave this place, go forgive somebody. Make it right. Some of you are harboring resentment and bitterness against people who don't even know they hurt you. He says, forgive as Christ forgave you. Then in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, therefore, be imitators of God. When we forgive, we are imitating God himself. And so they're, 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 I love preaching this part of Ephesians because the application is so easy. It's embedded right in the text. Forgive. Imitate. Be like God. You have a new identity as a child of God. And God has predestined. Oop, did I use that word? That you would, here's what he predestined. That you would be conformed to the image of his son. That's what we've been predestined for. That's our destiny. Is to look like Jesus. I know, I know, I know. It, I bet if I were in a different kind of church, if I start talking about your destiny is, is a, is, is a five-bedroom, two-story house with three and a half bathrooms, two acres, oh, people be running all around the place. See? He ready for it. Just got a new house. Now I want something else. Greedy. <laughs> if I said your destiny included you making millions of dollars, y'all be ready. But see, I ain't one of those preachers. I'm not finna profit lie. Because I don't know if that's in your destiny or not. All I know is your destiny is what God has revealed in his word. And your destiny is that you would look like Jesus Christ. Y'all shouting, but sometimes that destiny may mean the path of suffering. Oh, I hurt myself. Y'all was just getting with me. That's okay. I want God to be pleased more than y'all. See, we forget that before Jesus was glorified, he first had to suffer. The path to glory was through the way of the cross. So Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 5, worship team, come back. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
be imitators of God as beloved children. Friends, we are children of God. When BJ was a baby, you knew who his daddy was. Why? Because he looked just like me. He was a mini Brandon. Everywhere I go, they say, man, there's no way you can deny him. Now he got some hair. Y'all don't know who his daddy is. <laughs> what they said about BJ and his daddy is what the world and we as the church ought to say about one another. I know who your daddy is. I know who your father is. Why? Because you look just like him. You love just like him. You give just like him. You're gracious just like him. You forgive just like him. You're merciful just like him. You look just like your daddy. That's what I want to be told. That's what I want for every one of us. We look like our father. Be imitators of God. Beloved children. You're saying, Brandon, I, I, it's hard for me to remember. You gave me five things not to wear, five things to wear. Can you, can, can, help me out here. Here it is. Walk in love. There it is. That sums it all up for us. Love. If we would just love one another. Because remember, we must remember, the, the Bible says that love does no harm to its neighbor. So if we would just love one another, and I'm not talking about empty sen sentim uh, sentiments here. I'm not talking about just being emotional, having some emotion towards one another. No, 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 no. Love is more than that. How, how do we know what love is? God so loved the world that he gave. Love is demonstrated. Love is expressed. Love is an action. So what does the new self look like? It looks like someone who loves, who walks in love. You are a new creation. You are not who you used to be. You have been made over. You are a child of God, a new creation. You have a new identity. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what you've said. You've been made new. And now it is our destiny to walk in the newness of life. Let us stand.